the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Besides this show every weekend, you can also join Josh every Monday at 1230 p.m., for Money Mondays. He joins Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. And you can always find that recording at aptuswealth.com. And to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process with Josh, his phone number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. So let's get started. Josh, what do you say when folks come to you with concerns about taxes going up substantially in the coming years? It's certainly the the biggest topic of conversation lately, and there's no shortage of reasons why people are up in arms, concerned, whatever whatever adjective you want to use, about the potential of taxes going up. Matter of fact, we were talking uh, before we started the show, Diane, about you know Secretary Yellen, who's the Secretary of the Treasury, saying that you know they they're investigating the concept of taxing unrealized capital gains. They're doing a lot of let's call it investigating about potential tax changes. And quite frankly, the administration ran on a pretty robust uh, tax change platform as it relates to capital gains, income taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, again, there's no shortage of things to be concerned about. Now, where there's a lot of potential changes, I don't know that all of them will actually get approved, but it doesn't change the fact that we all understand that it's not what you make, it's what you keep. And uh, we want to position ourselves as best we possibly can to maximize the amount of money, not just that we gain in the way of uh, returns, et cetera, but how much do we get to keep? And ultimately, you know, you need to be purposeful in your planning. You need to be aware of changes. And that seems to be getting more and more difficult every single year. The changes seem to be uh, a little more hidden. You very rarely hear about uh, large changes to the income tax, but you do hear about deduction changes, changes to capital gains, what is the estate tax going to look like, uh, et cetera. And these are all very, very important. So what I tell everybody is let's make sure that we're purposeful in our planning. Let's make sure that we don't uh, put ourselves in a position where we're not nimble to be able to adjust for these things coming down the pipe. And what I mean by that is not all assets, again, are taxed the same. Not all assets are looked at the same for a myriad of reasons, from taxation all the way down to long-term care planning. So it's important that we have, if possible, a breadth of different tax qualifications. And by that, I mean 
uh, how you're taxed on non-qualified money. And non-qualified money, again, is just earned it, paid taxes on it. Now it was in a savings account or it was in my checking account, and I turned around and invested that in something. What I invest that in has different tax consequences. If I put it in the stock market, it gets taxed one way. If I invest in real estate, it gets taxed another way. If I put it in an annuity contract, it gets taxed another way. Um, and then you have qualified money, which is money that you put into an investment directly from your paycheck, or uh, there are other ways that you could do it, but it means that it goes in pre-tax. I'm putting this money in before I pay taxes on it, and then it grows tax-deferred, but then I have to pay taxes on it when I withdraw the funds. So, you know, if you're not confused already, the, the moral of the story is the tax code's huge. Matter of fact, I'd heard somewhere, I don't know if it's completely accurately true, but if you took the Bible and the War of 1812 and stacked them on top of one another, that's about the thickness of the tax code. And they're constantly changing it and modifying it. So it's important that we stay up to speed on the tax law changes that affect our clients and their investments, and then make sure that we spread assets around in a way that we can control where we take our money and when. For example, uh, we may have to take minimum required distributions. Well, we don't necessarily want to take all of our money out of an IRA in a certain tax year with high tax rates because all of that would be taxed at an ordinary income tax rate. But if we had a Roth IRA to complement it, we could take some from the Roth and some from the other, blend them together, and now we're paying a much lower tax rate. Again, the big takeaway here is be purposeful. Understand where you're taking your money from. Don't just by happenstance say, well, I have account number one. I'm going to take some money from there. And then when that's empty, I'm going to move on to account number two. That could be a very, very easy way to look at it, but a very, very foolish way as it relates to how you're going to pay taxes. So in our office, we constantly maintain that we're going to be purposeful in where and how we take our income. We're going to keep up to speed on what are the tax changes and how can we take advantage of those as much as possible. And I think your ability to manipulate, not manipulate, but be purposeful in where you take your income from is going to make a very, very significant difference over the years to come, as it seems like there's going to be some pretty significant tax changes coming up the pike here. And you deal with tax experts, so your office is like a one-stop shop. Yeah, we deal with them all the time. And beyond dealing with them, I owned a tax practice for a number of years. We kind of sold that practice so we could focus more on financial planning. As you can imagine, running two companies at once is difficult. Um, but we work with tax experts all the time, and we make sure that we do tax planning because, unfortunately, while tax experts are great, the planning really has to occur before the end of the year. So if you say, you know, I love my accountant, they do a great job. Every April or March, they seem to just, you know, do the best job for me. The reality is they're doing a great job of reporting for you. But oftentimes, uh, as it relates to many different things, the ship has already sailed by the time March and April hit. There's not a big impact that you can make for last year once you're into the following year. So it's important that we make adjustments, uh, repositioning of assets, et cetera, in 2021 to impact 2021. By the time 2020, April 2022 hits, the ship is, is sailed for the most part. And one question about these proposed un, unrealized gains getting taxed. I mean, is there any chance of that actually coming to fruition? Well, I hate to say there's not a chance of anything, as we're seemingly hear, hearing of some things that I would consider preposterous coming from, you know, Washington. Uh, and that's nothing new. But uh, I don't think administratively it's even possible. I mean, if you think about it, how would you appraise certain items? Uh, capital gains, by the way, apply to a, a whole bunch of things, you know, real estate, uh, stock market investments, companies. Uh, and how would you value the appreciation of a, of a company, of, of a house, 
et cetera, on a large scale. We're talking about appraising every house in the entire country, the challenging of that appraisal, and then the taxation of it. I mean, how would, let's say I bought, uh, I had a company, and uh, I bought the company for 500000 and now it's worth $1.5 million. I haven't sold the company. I can't sell the company because it's an illiquid market, and I still work there. But I have to pay taxes on the million dollars. Where am I going to get the money from? The only way I'm going to get the money is if I sell the company, which just isn't feasible. So, you know, I don't know how they would even implement it. But again, never say never. I just uh, I can't fathom that that will get approved. Well, let's say your stocks drop in value. So do you get a tax? Do you get a refund at that point? Then? <laughs> well, remember, this is the government. So you can write off tax losses. And again, this depends on where your assets are held. For example, if you have an annuity contract and you have a loss, you can actually write that loss off as an ordinary income loss. However, if you have a stock, you are limited to a threshold of the amount that you can write off. So when it goes up, you get taxed on everything. When it goes down, you can only write off a certain amount. It seems a little tilted in uh, one person's favor and not the others, doesn't it? Yeah. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call. His number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. We've talked about business owners planning for retirement. What if we flip that upside down? Do you find that there are folks who retire and then start to run a business in their golden years? I wouldn't say it's a huge percentage, but I am very encouraged to see and excited to see that it's happening more and more. You know, rewind the clock 20 years ago, I can't even think of one instance where I'd heard of this, and now it seems like it's becoming more prevalent. Now, we could say that that might be because of, you know, the pandemic, et cetera, but I think really what it is is the concept of retirement is being reshaped. The concept of uh, working for the same company for a long period of time and then, you know, getting your gold watch, your pension and retiring has that, that ship has sailed. I believe the average uh, retiree works for something, you know, millennial or not millennial, but a baby boomer works for something like 12 companies in their lifetime. So what's happening now is we have people that are looking at retirement, not as retirement, but as financial independence or the next chapter in their life. And the beauty of being in a financially strong position or a financial independence position is it affords you the opportunity to do what you want to do, not what you have to do. And I'm seeing people retiring from jobs that they didn't necessarily like because they have acquired enough assets to do so and starting companies that they always wanted to start, but they couldn't because of financial reasons, which is incredibly encouraging. And it also gives people, uh, you know, we've talked a lot of times on the show, Diane, about purpose and and making sure that you have something to do in retirement. And I think oftentimes starting your own business can be a great reason to have that purpose. And what would you do if you knew that you didn't have to support your entire life based on the income from some passion project that you decided to start rather than you know, working for that job that you, that you hate? Now, I, I would throw out a word of caution. I've also encountered you know, more than one person for sure who uses what I just said as an opportunity to start just that, a passion project, but one that simply doesn't have financial legs. You know, I've, I've had some people say, you know, I've always wanted to do this, I want to start it, and it turns out to be the financial drain in their retirement as opposed to the financial uh, gain. Uh, so be very, make sure that you are, in fact, running something that at least sustains itself, and it is a business, and it is adding to the bottom line and not retracting from the bottom line. But I am seeing it more and more, and it's uh, encouraging uh, for sure.
Is this a good way? So let's say if someone starts a business and they create an LLC or a PLLC, is this a good way to keep your social security? Um, because you can creatively pay yourself with your business as well. Not that I'm um, shady or anything, trying to work the system. Yeah, every time, every time Diane's <laughs> trying to get me into IRS court. Um, you know, I don't think that it's a it's a way to get around the taxation on your Social Security. Uh, remember, even if you start a business, the income that passes through that business, uh, to some degree at least, is going to be earned income. Now, do I think that it could be an opportunity where you create a business that in turn has some unearned income attached to it that could be beneficial? It's possible. Um, but not usually the impetus on why somebody would want to start an LLC. The purpose of the LLC is, is uh, you know, for legal reasons, and I'm certainly not an attorney, but it does give you a veil of uh, security in the way of your business being separated from you and your individual assets. But uh, And there are some tax benefits and detriments to that, for that matter, in, in owning an LLC or an S-Corp or C-Corp or any type of business. But um, I don't see people doing that to avoid or maximize the amount of social security they're receiving, I see it as a way for them to increase the amount of income that they have doing something that they've always wanted to do. Okay. I think that question revealed a lot about myself there. All right. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. If you're concerned about the market and you want to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, call our office to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint today at 614-364-7300. There's no cost or obligation, but space fills fast. Give us a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, what are the most important factors to someone to consider when trying to discern their risk tolerance? This is a big one because I feel like everybody's been tried to be jammed into the same category as it relates to risk tolerance. Answer these eight questions, and it'll tell us your risk tolerance. And the eight questions are, in my opinion, pretty preposterous. You know, would you be happier losing six uh, percent uh, in one year, but having the ability to gain five, or would you feel more comfortable with the ability to lose twenty, with the ability to gain? You know, I mean, these are all silly questions. Nobody wants to lose any money, and everybody wants to gain as much money as possible. Really, I think this can be boiled down into two categories. One, 
the internal factors facing your investment decisions and the external factors facing your investment decisions. Internal ones being thoughts, feelings, emotions, your ability to withstand uh, volatility in the market, et cetera. And I talk about this one a lot because I feel like we oftentimes give the answers that we think we should give, not the answers that we really want to give. So most people don't want to say, I'm comfortable just earning 4 or 5%. I would be more comfortable figuring out a way to save more money to eliminate as much volatility as possible because I just can't emotionally handle watching my money swing around uh, like the stock market oftentimes does. Uh, we've actually simultaneously currently, we have arguably the highest price to earning ratios ever in the stock market and the lowest volatility, which is really unusual. And what that means typically is one of those has got to give. And when one of those uh, is going to give, we'll see what happens with the stock market, but, but that would point to volatility. But the reason I said those stats is because we've been in a, a shy of COVID, a pretty unvolatile market comparatively to history. So as we move forward, expect the market to be more volatile than it's been recently, uh, if we look to the past. And some people just simply can't handle that. They just, there's nothing worse than not being in the market than getting in the market and getting out at the worst possible time. So if you know that uh, when 2001 and 2002 hit the dot-com bubble, or when 2008, 2009 hit the financial crisis, it made you want to jump out of a building. The stock market in its purest form might not be the best answer for you. But then we can't ignore the external factors that surround your life as well. And these are very individual. For example, how much risk can you assume based upon uh, not just your age, but also based upon what you do for a living? You know, and, and we could easily extrapolate this onto, you know, how much uh, emergency fund somebody should have as well. If you're a surgeon that is the most specialized surgeon in your field, working for the best hospital in your field, and you're constantly being asked uh, to do speaking engagements around the world because you are the best surgeon in the world, I would say it's unlikely that you're going to get fired. And if you do get fired, it's probably not going to be very difficult for you to find another job, um, knowing just those few pieces of information. Uh, however, if you're working in a career where turnover is very high, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and uh, you've already been laid off three or four times in your career, well, then you probably want more of a safety net in the way of an emergency fund. The same thing is true when we look at how much risk tolerance can you assume. If you're towards the tail end of your career, then you should probably start tearing back risk a little bit because you're going to need access to these funds, and you're going to need these funds to generate income for the rest of your life. If you're 22, 23, 24 years old, you have a really long runway to accept more volatility. So, you know, again, internal versus external. Have a very uh, in-depth conversation with yourself. Find out what you actually are comfortable with and then build a plan around that. And then secondly, even if you say, I have no problem with uh, extreme risk emotionally, I'm fine with it. Is that the right decision based upon the factors that apply to your life that might not apply to everybody else's. So don't base your entire decision off of an eight, uh, eight question questionnaire and go for, or, or I'm going to retire in 2040. So this is how I should be invested. That might not make sense for you. And this is something you go through with them when they take the Aptus blueprint process with you. But don't most people, let's say if they haven't been through swings in the market or, or a, a drop in the market, how do they know what their risk tolerance is? until it happens and then they're like well i'm not as <laughs> i'm yeah, not as yeah. uh, adventurous as i thought 
Yeah, and there's a, there's a, a whole pile of people that fall into that category. If you think about, you know, since 2009, which was, you know, 11, 12 years ago, we have not really experienced a significant drop other than COVID, which was a very, very short period of time. By significant drop, I mean a drop of more than 20% that holds on for more than a year. And that's a, that's a significant, that, that's one that you feel. You know, you had a million dollars and now you have 800 or 700,000 and it takes a year, two years, sometimes three years to get back to even. People have not experienced that in a really long time. And uh, one thing that I've learned over the years is while uh, when you're in it, it hurts, we, we also tend to forget very quickly uh, about, the, about the past and things that occurred. Um, I would say, how do, where do you start basing that? Well, one, uh, it's individual, uh, but I think it's part science and part math. It's a great idea to start with, you know, how would a, I'm going to retire in 2050, what would a standard 2050 retirement allocation look like? And then start adding in the pluses and minuses from there, right? You know, what are you more comfortable with? And that's where the, really the relationship between myself and my clients come into play is getting to know, getting to know who they are and using the 20 plus years experience that I have in, in dealing with people and understanding what they're really trying to tell me is, they might not even understand exactly where they need to be, but it's not my first dance. I, I know where people tend to land. And that's part of the Aptis retirement blueprint process. Let's talk more about that, what people can expect when they call your office. Yeah, it's a a four-step process. The objective of the overall process is to get to learn, uh, just like we said, as much about our clients as we possibly can and create the best possible blueprint for their individual situation. And the way that that starts is in our first meeting through what we call the discovery. And all we're learning about is you, what you've done up to this point, what your goals and objectives are, even the crazy ones. And uh, then we are going to analyze in meeting number two the information that you gave us. So if you continue to save at the rate that you're saving, will, in fact, you be able to retire? And then based upon how you're investing, what are some things that could get in the way to derail your objective? And in meeting number three, we cover all of those things. In other words, you're doing well, but if you're in a married uh, situation and one of your spouses were to pass away, it would completely knock your train off the tracks. You, you wouldn't end up at the destination. Taxes are really going to be a huge impact for you, et cetera, et cetera. But in that meeting, we will give you a blueprint of exactly the changes that will maximize your opportunity for success and minimize the opportunity for that derailment. And then uh, in meeting number four, that's really where the rubber meets the road. Do we mesh well? Are we the right system for you? And if so, then uh, what does that look like moving forward? And then it gets into the minutia, filling out paperwork, et cetera. To schedule your appointment with Josh, give him a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, let's talk about unclaimed retirement benefits. Let's say someone forgot about their benefits from a previous employer. How, How often does that happen and how can you get that back or find it? Yeah, it happens more often than you'd think. And, and remember, I think I may have even referenced it today that baby boomers on average have worked for, I think, at least a dozen different companies. So conceptually, that would be 12 different 401ks that they've had in their working lifetime. And if you think about the average you know, working time being about 40 years, that means every few years people are moving. Uh, that leaves a lot of opportunity for just being forgetful, leaving something behind, saying, I'll get to it, I'll do it later, and then it just, uh, you know, going by the wayside. Where I really see this happen, Diane, 
is unexpected death. Um, you know, I had these uh, eight different 401ks. I'm going to roll them when I have some time. It gets put on the back burner, and then that person passes away. And maybe that person didn't keep great records. Maybe they didn't have a conversation with somebody. Maybe they didn't have a financial advisor or an investment uh, advisor. Well, now it's left to the beneficiaries to try and figure out where that even is. If they don't have a statement for it, how would they know? And oftentimes we don't get, you know, changes of address. And there's a myriad of ways that money can just get left on the sidelines. Now, fortunately, I could tell you through experience, it's not often a huge amount of money. But I have encountered scenarios where we're talking about very significant six-figure, you know, mid-six-figure numbers that just kind of got lost, which I know sounds crazy. But what can you do? Well, one, I would highly recommend that you work with an investment professional on this one. They will have a great idea, at least hopefully, if they're a fiduciary and they know what they're doing, they'll have a great concept of understanding how do I go about even finding the money. And there's ways to do that. So one would be, you know, contact contact former employers, contact the HR department, say, hey, I used to work here, uh, had a 401k. Where is that 401k uh, house today? Because oftentimes employers are shifting the administration of their 401k from one company to the next, to the next, to the next. So you might have been with Fidelity and now it's with Vanguard. But you got transitioned over through that process. So you have no idea even where to look. So you call the HR department and you say, where is it held? Then you call that company and say, here's my social security number. I used to work for XYZ company. I want to verify that I have an account. And they should be able to tell you whether that account actually exists. If you feel like, you know, I'm just still not getting the answer that I think I should be getting, there are some resources out there. They're different per state, uh, but they're kind of, uh, you know, directories, if you will, or resources to find unclaimed retirement benefits. Department of Labor, I believe, has one called the Abandoned Plan Database or something like that. Uh, There's a, you know, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation has a trusted plan search. I think there's even something called the National Association of Unclaimed Property or something like that. But the point is, contact our office, contact your financial advisor's office and say, I had a 401k with this company. I I don't know if I moved it. I I don't know what happened. Can you help me track it down? Because I assure you it's going to be a heck of a lot easier tracking it down while you're alive than for your beneficiaries trying to track it down after you're gone. And that's really where I see the money evaporate. I wish we had a better system, but don't leave money on the table just because of, you know, procrastination. Do we know what happens when the money is never, what happens to the money if it's never claimed? You know, I think that's a state-by-state scenario. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, Fortunately, I've never had anybody in a position where we just simply couldn't track down the money that they knew existed. But um, that's not to say that people don't have money that they didn't know uh, existed, and we never even looked. And I don't know that there is a very good plan or very good database to look up. There's no centralized one other than some of these uh, databases that I've already talked about. So if you contact our office, we can give you a list of the databases and we can tell you where to start looking. And then if we need uh, more than that, we can keep on looking. Now, there is one way that I think we can probably get some traction here, and that is every 401k or IRA has to provide the government a form that says what the balance is. And the reason they have to provide that is because at a certain point, you have to get minimum required distributions, right? So the government selfishly wants to tax you on money at a certain deadline. And as a result of that, all financial institutions have to provide them with a form so they know how much that you have to take so that they can get their tax money. 
there is a way uh, to search amongst those records to find out is there anything in your name now it's uh, it's a cumbersome system it's not as easy as you think but there are ways that we can track down money that you may or may not have Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. More with Josh Pick when we come back. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call. His number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, let's talk about some rules of thumb for entrepreneurs that have been applicable for years and have also survived all the recent pandemic madness. Well, there's a whole host of them, and none of them are... Uh, necessarily new or revolutionary. It's all basic stuff that we all understand, but it, I think it sometimes is beneficial to rehear. For example, pay yourself first. A lot of the entrepreneurs that I see get into trouble, and it's because we have success stories based upon this logic, is I'm going to dump all of my money, every extra nickel I have, back into my business. And while we could easily argue that if your business is growing at 20% a year, that that's the best bang for your buck is putting money back into your business. However, if 100% of your liquid capital is tied up in your business, and then there's a downturn in your particular industry, can you in fact weather the storm to get through it to even have a business that remains after it? Um, and again, I I'm a firm believer in people uh, believing in their own businesses and dedicating themselves to those businesses and making them as robust and strong and successful as possible. But that does not detract from the fact that you should pay yourself to your savings first and then dedicate the remainder of your income back to the business. So, for example, let's just say that you it costs you $50,000 a year to run your life. You're making $100,000 a year. Uh, you take twenty thousand of that hundred, put it in a savings account, and then invest the other thirty back into your business. Something like that, and and obviously we could get more complicated than that based upon your situation. But the point is always the same: pay yourself first, spend second. Uh, after that, I would say be very careful about taking out loans, and that does not mean that all debt is quote bad debt. But I think Warren Buffett is very famous in saying if you need loans. You shouldn't have them. And if, you, if you're going to be successful and you have a great idea, you should be able to get the money in other ways or something to that effect. But the point is, sometimes loans cannot be, you know, cannot be avoided. Sometimes loans are very necessary. Companies take loans all the time. I'm certainly not saying that you should not have the ability or, the, or, or should abstain from taking loans under all circumstances. What I am saying is be careful with it. Just because money is inexpensive and just because you have an idea does not necessarily mean that you should borrow money for that idea. And I would be even more careful about borrowing money to turn around and invest it. You know, we hear, well, why wouldn't you invest it? If, the, if this investment's going to earn 10% and I can borrow money at 3 I'd be foolish not to do it. Fair. But anytime you use leverage to invest and the economy goes the other direction or that particular investment goes the other direction, you are still leveraged and your losses are exacerbated as well. So be very careful when you borrow money 
to invest. Now, the higher your liquid capital position from all the savings that you did over the years, the more aggressive you can be with these types of things. But then one would argue that if you have all of this liquid capital, why do you need to borrow the money to begin with? Which is probably the lines where Warren Buffett was was uh, leading. And then, you know, try and be as frugal as possible. So don't overspend on things you don't need to impress people you don't know. Um, you know, brands are not necessarily that important, particularly if you're a small business. Uh, make sure you're spending the money where you need to be, not where you think looks cool. Um, and I think there's a lot of that going on these days. I think there's a lot of people that are spending money they don't have to impress people they don't know. And uh, there's a lot of fake millionaires out there. Last point, and this is by no means my idea. It's, it's been repeated a million times. But don't believe that even though you don't save money today, that you will save a bunch of money when you get, quote, wealthier or you get, quote, you start making more money. People who save money save money regardless, and people who spend money will always find something to spend it on. And habits are hard to break. So as early as possible, with as little money as you possibly, uh, or as much money as you can afford, start saving money. I don't care if it's $5 a month. Start saving. Build upon that habit rather than uh, I'm going to start doing it as soon as I get to this level because that level will always be fleeting and you will always find something else to spend. So create good habits. Keep your debt as low as you possibly can. Pay yourself first. And you should be able to weather storms as they come. I feel personally attacked on all those points, Josh. All right. <laughs> You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Josh, you mentioned Warren Buffett. He is old school. What about some of the new school approaches like robo-advisor? Are, are some putting too much faith in that kind of technology? So the concept of robo-advisor is it's not literally a robot. Usually what we're talking about is just the use of computers uh, to execute algorithms, um, which is just a, a fancy way of saying a rules-based approach to something. So in the past, you would have stockbrokers or somebody analyzing data on a particular company, most oftentimes individually. You'd have an analyst that might cover one or two companies, and then they would give their feedback on where they thought those companies were, and then stockbrokers would push the you know, flavor of the day based upon those analysts. And the new school approach is, uh, well, now we have computers. So why do we need, uh, if we can come up with an algorithm saying what we're looking for is all stocks that fit in this category, uh, why can't we just have them real time run all the numbers and then kick out data? And then on top of that, we could have those, quote, robo advisors buy and sell based upon the feedback that they're receiving. And there was a lot of apprehension on, quote, robo-advisors or, you know, computer algorithms on the early onset, particularly back in the early 2000s. And you could argue that some of that was because computers aren't what they are today. Some of it was a learning curve. But my experience has shown this. And there's a lot of people that thoroughly believe, you know, Ray Dalio being one of them, thoroughly believes in the combination of robo-advisors and human capital, of course, on top of that, meaning that there's an individual that's also helping in those decisions. Uh, and he runs, I believe, the largest uh, hedge fund in the world, so uh, who has a tremendous track record in the long run. So at least, at least use his opinion on this as something of value. 
the belief is this. Robo-advisors have a very strong ability to mitigate volatility. I wouldn't necessarily say that putting your money in a computer algorithm type generated robo-advisor platform has the ability to increase your gains dramatically. I, I think that the market's very efficient and I think that it's very difficult to quote, beat the market over the long run. But what I think it does have the ability to do is mitigate risk to a large degree. Meaning you could put yourself in a position where you could limit downside on your portfolio more significantly than just quote, buying and holding over the long run. Now, that's one version of robo-advising that I think is incredibly valuable, particularly as we're in an environment today where a lot of people are fearful. They believe that the economy could very easily go the other direction, and they know that they're you know, going to retire next year, maybe five years from now, and they just simply do not want the, uh, the emotional turmoil in their life or the fear or not knowing whether or not they'll be able to retire when they run or retire based upon a market swing. So there is a way that you can hedge your position through robo-advising. The other look at robo-advising, though, and I'm not sure exactly what end of the question you're asking about, but is that there is no longer a need for a financial advisor. That you should simply just pick the 2040 fund or the 2050 fund because that's when you're going to retire, and then you don't need a financial advisor. And maybe that's more cost-effective approach. The unfortunate reality is we have yet to come up with an algorithm that can understand all of the elements uh, in a way that could be conveyed to a client. And what I mean by that is every client's situation is different. Every client's um, aptitude level, every client's uh, knowledge base is different. And we have things to talk about like taxation. When should that person take Social Security? Family history of longevity. How do they feel overall about the volatility in the market? What makes the most sense for them? And I just think that that's uh, an almost impossible feat to get through an eight-question questionnaire or a 50-question questionnaire. Um, I think it's important for an advisor to help clients walk through um, you know, what's actually occurring in the portfolio and why they don't need to freak out. Matter of fact, American Funds has done many, many studies proving that people that have financial advisors in the long run return higher than people who don't. And the reason for that is very simple. It's not just the investments that are picked, but it's being able to help clients get through downturns in the market and keeping their eye on the ball in the long run. Because when left to our own devices and our own emotions about money, it's very difficult sometimes to not just make the illogical choice of pulling out early. And I think we, we all believe we're immune to that until it happens to us. And man, it's hard to watch a million dollars go down to $700,000 and not start to act a little bit irrationally. So I think robo-advisors have a great, great benefit I think that uh, these computer algorithms have uh, give us the ability to do things in a matter of seconds that would take you and I, Diane, the rest of our lives to calculate longhand. It's like a calculator on steroids, but it is not the end-all be-all, and there has to be a human element to it for it to be successful. And you're so huge on education and educating your clients on what's going on. A robo-advisor is not explaining anything. They're just kind of spitting out a, a formula to follow, and that's it. Yeah, and, and you know, robo-advisors, um, even if they did use an explanation for it, I'm not discounting the fact that people have uh, an ability to, to convey their message. Everybody hears things in different ways. So having the ability to convey a message in a way that a client can understand, again, based upon their background. Are they in the medical field or are they an engineer? That's a completely different explanation for the most part. That's important. It's important to feel comfortable about your money just as much as your money working for you. And I think you can have both. 
And the fact that when people talk to you, Josh, you're looking at all the pieces of their retirement puzzle, long-term health care, uh, taxes is a huge thing. You have to look at the overall picture. You do. You have to look at things like, you know, relationship status, uh, estate planning. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, thoughts of moving to other states. There's there's a whole host of, uh, I don't want to call them intangibles because they're certainly tangible, but there's there's almost an infinite amount of questions and scenarios that need to be addressed. And ultimately, uh, robo-advisors, not robo-trader platforms, but robo-advisors, meaning uh, robots or computers that are actually giving you advice on where to be, not making decisions on investments once you've made the decision of where you want to be. And I'm a very big fan of the robo-trader platforms, but the robo-advisor simply can't ask enough questions to get the perfect answer for you. Let me give you Josh's number one more time so you can schedule your own personalized planning session and go through the Aptus Blueprint process. The phone number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com, and you can join Josh every Monday at 1230 for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer. That's 12.30 p.m. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session if you'd like to learn new strategies to manage risk, Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Let's talk about inflation, Josh. How do we protect uh, from inflation siphoning more and more of our savings in the coming years? Well, you know, inflation's been a big conversation here as of late. So I've done a little bit of research on inflation. You know, we're always looking at inflation, but I've, I've done some research here as of late, just looking throughout history over the last 20, 25 years and saying, what has inflation been, particularly... And the impetus of this was, you know, we just learned that Social Security is going to go up by 5.9% next year. And that's the largest increase since 1982. Um, It's more than double the average increase in Social Security over the last 20 years. So I started thinking, you know, has Social Security kept up with inflation over the last 20 years or so? And the answer is a resounding no, it is not. But then you have to dig a little bit deeper. Well, why in relation to what? So, for example, while it's kept up with certain things, it's up 55% over the last 21 years, but housing has gone up by 118% over the same time period. Healthcare costs are up 145% over the same time period. So perhaps while, let's say, the cost of technology has gone down, while maybe the cost of automobiles until COVID has gone up at a reasonable rate and Social Security's kept up with that inflation rate, it hasn't kept up with all the inflation rates. 
So it's important first that we understand in our situation, how is inflation going to affect us personally? For example, if you already own your home and you're locked into, let's say, a a low 30-year fixed interest rate or you just simply own your home, the rising costs of housing are not going to have as dramatic an effect on your situation as, say, if you're a renter. Now, I understand I, that it's obviously going to have an impact on the cost of uh, real estate taxes, et cetera, but it's certainly not going to have as dramatic of an impact. The cost of health care, if you're an incredibly healthy person, simply isn't going to have as much of an impact if you know that you already have some pre-existing conditions that are going to require some treatment. So it's important to look at this individually, but it's also important to note that although Social Security is going up, for example, that's probably not going to keep up with overall inflation. So what do we do? We're in this interesting, let's say, perfect storm where typically or historically the way that we would keep up with inflation is we'd have money put in the stock market. Then we'd also have some money in the bond market. And I'm just using these two as an example. And uh, we would start to increase our bond holdings over time as we got older because bonds are less volatile than stocks. But bonds were still returning a rate that was significantly higher than inflation. Matter of fact, over the last 40 years, it's been a very great environment for bonds. So that plan really, really worked. But now what we have is unlike the last 20 years of incredibly low inflation, and at least on the surface, looks like inflation is going up, even though I know we've referenced uh, Secretary of the Treasury Yellen earlier in the show has said that even though we're going to print and borrow you know, trillions of dollars, that inflation shouldn't be a problem. I fundamentally disagree with that sentiment, and I believe that uh, inflation is going to be a problem. So we've had artificially low inflation over the last 40 years. We've had a bull market for bonds over the last 40 years because bonds are inversely proportional to interest rates. So as interest rates go down, it's good for bonds. And the stock market over the last 12 years has done nothing but go up like a rocket ship. Well, now let's fast forward. There's certainly a lot of question that taxes are going to go up, which is going to erode some of our gains. There's uh, certainly a belief that interest rates really don't have too, they really don't have too many directions to go butt up. So that will be negative for the bond market. We've had the longest bull run in the history of stock markets. So what does that mean for volatility? And people are very concerned about how do I combat inflation in a at least seemingly volatile market where bonds are not a safe haven and it looks like the government's going to try and keep more of my money than they have in the last five or 10 years. That's a challenging scenario. And again, the answer is individual based upon how inflation is going to affect you. But there are answers. Um, And the answers are you have to find investments that do historically well in rising interest rates and interest rate environments. You have to figure out ways to mitigate volatility as it applies to your scenario as much as possible. You should have some holdings in real assets and and again, things that are going to do well in inflationary periods. And you have to make sure that you're being purposeful in the way that you invest so that you minimize taxes as much as you possibly can. Now, there is no system that perfectly answers all of these questions, but there are better strategies than others. So it's important that you have a plan in place that does all of those things as best as possible, and we can certainly help you with that. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, I know you talked about Social Security. Let's, Let's talk again about how inflation impacts it. Yeah. So, you know, inflation, uh, obviously, and social security are correlated, meaning that 
every year the Social Security Administration increases or at least remains level based upon what's called COLA or a cost of living adjustment. Unfortunately, there's a couple of things that have been happening there. One, as the cost of living adjustment goes up, meaning let's say you're getting $1,000 a month from Social Security and they decide that they're going to do a 2% increase, which is $20 to your bottom line, you have something else coming out of your Social Security, and that's called Medicare. Everybody, uh, once they're over the age of 65, assuming they're not covered by a, a company plan and still working, has to get Medicare. And Medicare Part B, for most people, costs about 150 bucks a month. So if they raise the cost of Medicare by, 200, or by 20 bucks a month, so it goes from 150 to 170, your Social Security can go up by 2%, but that increase is completely eroded or eliminated by the increase in Medicare. And I've heard oftentimes by people coming into my office that they keep on saying I'm getting an increase or a cost of living adjustment increase, but every single year they say they give it to me, I, I see a dollar go into the actual payment. And the reason for that is because the cost of medical is going up higher than the overall cost of living adjustment. I mean, we all can agree. I'm sure everybody listening goes, you know, the costs of everything medically related have skyrocketed relative to other things in our lives. So that's one thing that you have to take into account when you look at, at Social Security. So knowing that, uh, you have to come up with a plan to offset that increase. Meaning if you believe that, let's say, overall cost of living or inflation is going to go up over the next 20 years by 3%, but you only believe that Social Security is going to go up by 2%, and 1% of that's going to get eroded by the increase in Medicare, well, then that means that your other assets or your other income sources are going to have to accommodate for the difference if you want your total amount of money to go up by 3% a month or 3% a year, excuse me. So, you know, Social Security is a, is, is a program that provides us with some baseline of income. It's good that it has cost of living adjustments, but statistically speaking, it just simply has not kept up with the overall challenges of inflation that retirees have experienced. The other thing is taxation has slowly started to be more impactful to Social Security. And if you don't know how taxation on Social Security works... It's the only, uh, I believe, the only income source that I'm, at least that I'm aware of, that is taxed based upon your outside income. And what I mean by that is not it's taxed in the bracket based upon your outside income. I mean the actual amount of it that gets taxed is based upon your outside income. Meaning if you're living on Social Security exclusively, you pay no taxes whatsoever on it. However, if you get Social Security and you also have $50,000 worth of outside income, you can pay on up to 85% of your Social Security in the way of taxes. So, you know, you have these multiple elements affecting Social Security, and then you have these challenges of, uh, well, you know, we know that Social Security, the trust fund, is going to run out of money at some point. So how do I accommodate for that? What's going to happen? Uh, I don't believe that Social Security is going to go away, but what I do believe is that the benefits that we're used to receiving are going to be eroded in some form or fashion. And people can argue with this all they want, but by eroding, I mean, we're either going to have to figure out a way to fund Social Security via borrowing, printing money, which in turn is going to increase inflation, which is going to erode your Social Security payments, or we're going to be more forthcoming with it and say, we simply can't afford it, so now we are going to eliminate the cost of living adjustments, or we're going to delay credits that we used to give you, or we're going to uh, 
you know, you can't collect until later, or we're simply going to reduce payments based upon outside income sources, which is called means testing. And there's a whole host of uh, ideologies out there on how to fix it. And I think it's going to be a blend of a lot of them, and it should be for that matter. But what that means is Social Security more than likely is going to be diluted in some form or fashion in the long run, and you have to have a plan that can accommodate for that. It's not going to go away, but it's not going to comprise as much as people have been used to in the past. So, Josh, when if Social Security is eroding, how do you plan for that with clients? So, I mean, people are worried it's going to go away altogether. Um, you say it's not, but, I mean, how do you plan? How much of the planning do you rely on Social Security for people? Well, thank God for computers. So what our software programs allow us to do is do what we call stress testing everyone's plan. And we can customize those stress tests, of course. So if you believe that Social Security is simply going to go away, well, no problem. We can make Social Security go away. But I think what's more reasonable is looking at all of the external factors or what we call environmental factors that can affect your retirement plan, increase in taxation, um, increase in the cost of health care, uh, market volatility, black swan type events, um, lower than expected performance in the stock market, rising interest rates, social security being reduced by X percentage. And while I think that as I'm rattling off these stress tests or these stressors that could be impacted, there's probably everybody listening that's nodding their head to some capacity saying, well, I, I think you know at least one of those is going to be a huge factor or maybe all of them are going to be a huge factor. So we have the ability to then say, what if all of those things get 10% worse? What if they get 20% worse? What if they get, and we can keep on playing the what if game. But I think, you know, the likelihood of everything going catastrophically wrong at the same time isn't really historically justified. So if we can say everything gets 20% worse, everything, and you still have the ability to retire and not run out of money for the rest of your life to a more than reasonable life expectancy, then I think that's a reasonable stress test. But if all the moons have to align for you to be successful in your retirement financially, then I think you're probably tap dancing on a minefield a little bit. I think you need to stress test things. And again, fortunately for computers and algorithms and programs, getting back to that robo capacity with the human element, it gives us the ability to quickly determine the outcomes as opposed to what we used to take. I mean, it would take us all day on paper to come up with the same calculations. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That number is 614-364-7300. And, of course, you can always join Josh again as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley Mondays at 1230 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. Thank you so much for joining us. We will talk to you next week. And also the recording you can find at Josh's website, aptuswealth.com. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.